Hello world. I'm delighted to have my next guest on today. Model, stylist, and all around good person, Jillian McLeod. Jillian, hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. So Jillian, you and I, uh, we met on set of a shoot. You were styling a uh, campaign for a drug company. Andrick was a photographer. It was a two-day shoot in LA, different locations. You and your team did a fabulous job styling the shoot. And right after the shoot, maybe like a year later, I was in the Oculus, in the World Trade Center, and I saw your beautiful face on Oliver Peoples' campaign. And I was delighted to see that. How was your 2020? How's it been going? 2020 has been, it's been a really interesting year. You know, it started off super busy with styling and, and um, a slew of modeling jobs, uh, one in Mexico City that was just wonderful. And then, of course, it all came to an abrupt end at the beginning of March. But I have found so many other things to do. You know, there's, there's lots to learn. Um, patience being one of them. And I'm very fortunate to live in L.A. with a, with a garden, which I've completely redone. So I've, I've been busy. My dad's a huge gardener. What plants or vegetables have you been planting? Well, I had a lot of summer vegetables. So I had tomatoes and all sorts of herbs for the garden. And then I've already got my salad vegetables and vegetables in now for the winter. But my garden is mostly succulents. And I have some very tall sort of older plants, which I've kept, and then I've redone everything else. We'll get through your story. It's fit for a movie. I don't know if anyone's approached you about it, but with some dramatizations, with, with some fabrications, making it more dramatic, I could see a movie coming out of this in, in terms of your story. So don't sell your story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have some people. Okay. So you were born in Indonesia to a Scottish father and American mother. Talk to me about your upbringing. Was your dad in the military or? No, my father uh, worked for a British export company. And he was, he, after World War II, he was posted to Ceylon, which was then Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, to Colombo, where he lived for a few years. And then he moved to Indonesia, where he met my mother. And it was a very small sort of expat community and my parents and the friends that they made there and their children, we've all remained friends throughout the rest of my life. So it's it, it was a wonderful sort of friendship that happened. The town where I was born is Maidan, which is uh, in northern Sumatra. And we were really fortunate that dad's company had a little holiday house up on Lake Toba. So we would go up there for the weekends. And that's where I learned to swim. And I lived in Indonesia until I was nine. But at the age of four and a half, I started boarding school in Penang, which is in Malaysia. And that in itself is its own little story, as the, the place was an, an isolated, abandoned hotel, which was then turned into a school. And it exists to this day and has been used for a lot of film sets, notably Andoshin with Catherine Deneuve many years ago. Oh, wow. And growing up, were you ostracized a little bit being different or were you the popular kid? We weren't very popular um, being colonialist. It was really sort of like the last, the last, um, it was sort of like the end of that sort of British mm. everything. And I look back on some of that with, you know, with I don't know. It's a very uncomfortable, actually. We were pretty isolated, though, growing up. And then, of course, in boarding school, I was. we were very isolated. You know, I, we 
we didn't even go home for three months of the year. We were at home the rest of the time we were at school. So you flew to Malaysia for boarding school uh, and then you started school in uh, in the UK? In the UK when I was 12. So we were, at that point we were living in Borneo. So we would fly from Borneo to London and then take the train up to our school in Scotland. And I was there at that school until I was 17. Okay. And then you moved to the U.S. So from when you were 17 to you moving to the U.S. when you're 22, which is in 78, not to disclose your age. Oh, I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) What led you to come to the United States? I met somebody when I was living in London and we sort of dated off and on. And there was an invitation to come to Los Angeles. And and so I thought, well, it would be fun to come for a couple of weeks. So I hopped on a plane and and came over, but then I never left. I never went back. (laughs) I mean, I I went back to visit my parents over the years, but I never went back to live. I really liked Los Angeles from the minute I arrived. And that was your ex-husband? That was another, it was another friend. Um, No, but I met my husband the first uh, couple of weeks that I was here and uh, we were married for or together for about 27 years. And you have a son, Max, correct? How old is he now? Max just turned 33, and uh, he lives fairly close by, and I see him um, very regularly, and we text quite a bit, so we have a good relationship. That's great. Now, I've read one of your interviews on the internet where you talk about you're very passionate about women's rights, women's control over their own bodies, Planned Parenthood. And I don't want to get too political on this episode, but with the placement of Amy Coney Barrett into the Supreme Court, her background is very pro-life, but in in a way that it's almost anti-women's rights. Talk to me about how you feel about Planned Parenthood and the supposed attack on it now. Well, I think it's just so complicated. And uh, I was saddened by that appointment, actually. I just felt like it would turn things around for so many people. It, it would make what a lot of women end up needing unavailable. And I don't know why it's such a political thing or such a, you know, they're supposedly Christians, these women or, or men that sort of oppose any any women's rights. And, and yet it's so unchristian at the same time. It, you know, I grew up in, you know, I came of age in the 70s and Roe versus Wade had just been mm-hmm. passed. So most of my life, I thought that we'd sort of, we'd cross that hurdle really. But it, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just seems like things are just getting more, more and more conservative. And I don't know, yeah. I still don't know why men have, have to have such a say <laughs> in somebody's personal beliefs. I'm with you. As a man, I'm with you. I I believe in there are some things like late term abortions, those kind of things that bother me a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's not my body. I'm with you. I don't think we should have a say in how and it's mostly men that are making that decision, right? It's it's a legislature, it's the Senate, the representatives, it's mostly made of men that are uh, making that decision for women, and it's disturbing. Yes, it, it really is, and that's, yeah, that's what's so curious. And why are they so passionate about it when it has nothing actually to do with them? And, you know, speaking of late-term abortions, there are things that go wrong, um, you know, yeah. during pregnancies, and so it, it should definitely be something that, you know, is allowed. Anyway, we, we could go on about that for hours. But <laughs> <laughs> So how do you get into styling? I've looked at your portfolio and you're rep by Susan Shaughnessy. Are you still with Sidecar? She's actually not my rep, but she hosts a lot of photographers and stylists and makeup artists. Mm-hmm. And so it's lovely to be on her set. She's a producer that I've known for a long time. And she um, has produced some fantastic work and she's based in New York. So m- mostly in my years... I haven't actually been repped by anybody. It's all, all oh. been word of mouth or it's just been, you know, repeat photographers.
hours, which has been great. Shout out to Susan. She and I go way back to like 2007 when wow. I started Hassan Star. <laughs> she was a producer on a few of my shoots with William Whitehurst, who was a photographer, in-house photographer back then. So uh-huh. she's great. I agree with you. And, and she's good people as well. Yeah. You've done styling for Adidas, BMW, Coca-Cola. You did my shoot, which you guys did a great job. You had a great team with you. What led you to that field? I was working for many years for a clothing designer named Michelle Lamy, whom whom we all know as she's become so well known over the years, having been married to Rick Owens. And they live in Paris now. Mm -hmm. So I worked for Michelle when I was living downtown. I was in a band and I I needed a a day job to sort of supplement my nighttime escapades. So... From there, I met a few stylists and I started off working for an English stylist that I had actually known in London. And so working with her, I learned a lot about dressing characters or inventing characters. Mm. We worked a lot in costume houses with a lot of vintage clothing. So I learned how to source that way. And that actually became very interesting. And it's one of the reasons why I think I was hired by a couple of photographers who really were more quirky in their sort of editorial. And so I could really, you know, go to town or have things made or, and so that became really my focus. So that's how I got started. I actually got started doing returns. That's how I really got started. I think that's how everybody starts. <laughs> that's the funnest part about styling, isn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> keeping the tags on, uh, who wore this? You could keep this, right? It's the fun part. That's the fun oh, part. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I didn't know you were in a band. That makes this movie idea so much better. You just added another layer to this. What did you play? Were you a singer? No, I was not a singer. I was a drummer, actually. I was. I had a um, oh my God. I had, uh, stand-up. Stand up. All my drums were on tri pods or or legs and so it was more percussive than really like a traditional drummer (laughs) but um i was in that band for about i don't know six and a half years and Mm. we we had we made three albums and we did we did some touring around the u.s we played at danceateria and the pyramid club in new york those were actually the highlights and i loved the pyramid club that was it was back when New York was very gritty and fun. What was the band called? It was called Party Boys. Party Boys. And <laughs> was it spelled with a Z or no? Just No, just B-O-Y-S, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that band was around today, it would have a Z in there, I would think. Oh, I'm, I'm probably, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would, yeah. <laughs> have you been to Studio 56? This is the era that I want to talk about. So, yeah, when you were in New York, did you visit those party places? Danceateria we went to, I think, was it Studio 54, right? No, I never got 54, there. yeah. Yeah, I never got mm. there. Um, it was sort of, yeah, it was closed before my time really of going to New York. And actually when we would go to New York, it was so specific to go do, you know, like one or two things that we would just come home mm. after because we were always so broke, we could never really stay anywhere. <laughs> when you uh, reserved the hotel room, you guys all stayed in one room? Oh, well, um, actually our trip to New York, we would stay with friends, but when we went other places, we would just stay in cheap motels. Gotcha. And one last question about those times. Can you give us uh, a fun story about back then? I'm sure you have thousands of them. Yes, I do have one that sticks out actually. It <laughs> has to do with touring. We, we were in contact with this supposed booker in Tucson. And so the band decided that we were going to go play there. So we would have these conversations. And of course, it was before cell phone and internet and everything. So you really relied on somebody's somebody's word. So we packed into a, we had a, a friend of ours had a, um, a convertible 1966 
white Cadillac. And so we put all, all our gear in a U-Haul trailer and off we went to our big gig in Tucson. Well, when we got there, we discovered that actually it was an abandoned building and the booker lived about two houses down from that abandoned building and everything was hooked up to a, you know, just like a cord, like an extension cord. And the phone that we'd been talking to him on was a phone box down the road. So there was no electricity when we arrived. So there really sort of wasn't a gig. So we ended up having a motel party, but it was really fun. And a lot of, a lot of friends had, had come out from LA to see us play. So we ended up just having a motel party. And that was. That was really funny. Wow. It kind of reminds me of when Rudy Giuliani booked that <laughs> conference at, yeah. at the Four Seasons Landscaping Place, right? Oh my <laughs> gosh, wasn't that the funniest thing ever? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Highly embarrassing. Let's talk about your modeling. So you're dating a photographer at the time, and he suggested, and you were about 60, he suggested that you take shots of you and pictures, and you were kind of hesitant about it. And how did it get to H&M? How did it get to a booker? Okay. I uh, Actually, I was 52 when I was dating him, and he, he suggested the portfolio. You're correct there. And because I, lo- I know a lot of casting directors here in LA, I wrote to one, Doug at Eastside, and asked him you know, what he recommended. So he recommended a few, and I called M Model, who, who accepted me right away. And so I had this I had a small portfolio and they started sending me out. I got a a couple of jobs and I got a commercial, but nothing was really happening for me until I got in with Iconic Focus in New York. And the first job that they got for me was an editorial for H&M for $200 and would I wear a swimsuit? So at the time I was swimming almost every single day and I thought, well, a swimsuit, that's fine. And so off I went to the to the shoot and it was uh, Will Davidson and he I came out of the changing room and he said let's go and no hair no makeup once that came out it went viral and I think it went viral for a couple of reasons first of all that H&M had used a model who was 60 and then secondly I had had no hair or makeup done and it was completely all natural and yeah. I was absolutely gobsmacked by the reaction I woke up in the middle of the night and the phone was ringing and I had about 400 emails and I suddenly had 4,000 followers on Instagram and I really didn't wow. know what was happening. But I mean, people were calling me from People Magazine, The Guardian, things in Europe. I even made it to Time Magazine. It was incredible. Wow. <laughs> You're a natural beauty. Thank you. You have flowing locks. I don't know how you maintain that. <laughs> As I said, I saw a big billboard piece. It wasn't a billboard, but there's a big picture of you in black and white for Oliver Peoples, and it's fantastic. And it's one of those things where it's better late than never, the riper the fruit, the sweeter the juice, that kind of thing. And it's an inspiration to so many others. What would you tell somebody, whether it's late in life or somebody that's even beginning, thinking about trying something that they're maybe hesitant to try, what would your message be to those people? Well, it's interesting because I get an awful lot of DMs from people all over the world asking me, what their chances are of either being a model or how do I keep my looks or um, and so I spend a good deal of my day answering all of these questions. I think that you just have to go for it. You know, my first commercial, I was so panicked that I had a uh, I had I actually had a panic attack in the trailer bathroom and couldn't come out. 
to set because mm. I was the only person out there. But ever since that day and after I got through that, I realized that if you put your mind to it, you can do anything that you want. And, um, you know, I was shy growing up and now I'm not. And I think that if you really want to do something, you have to just go try it. You know, I have a friend who's 58 just started modeling. She just did a big Clinique shoot with Tyler Mitchell. She jumps out of planes. She's learning to fly. She's doing absolutely everything that she wants to do. Plus, she owns her own ad agency. I mean, she's an absolute dynamic force, you know? Stories like yours and hers, it's an inspiration. It shows that you can do it. You miss every shot you don't take. Absolutely. And, you know, back to that poster for um, Oliver Peoples, I think that's one of my most favorite photographs of all time. And funnily that you should say that it wasn't a billboard because it actually ended up being a double-faced billboard in Times Square. So, And so it was... It was incredible to go look at it and see it. And and I really, it was the first time I ever felt like I'd sort of arrived, like, oh my God, I've got this billboard in Times Square at 63 years old. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I I saw the picture of you standing in Times Square with your picture. If that were me, (laughs) I'd be hanging out there. All day, just seeing all the people walking by. That's, I mean, that's yeah. what I would do. So many of my friends went to visit it. You know, it was sort of like a pilgrimage. All my New York friends went there and took selfies of themselves in front of it. Oh, it was just great. No, it's fantastic. And congratulations. If your career ended there, it would have been an amazing thing. But it hasn't ended there. You, know, you still have many years to go. A question that I ask all my guests and something I want to ask you is everybody has failures in their life, whether it be professional or personal. They get up from it. They become a better person, stronger from that instance. Do you have one that that you could speak about? The purpose is to inspire others. Well, I think that probably my biggest life change is, is, I don't think of it as a failure, but it was certainly, Mm. um, it was certainly a big life change. And that's, you know, getting divorced at 51. And I thought that it was going to be sort of an easy run, but then the crash happened right after that. And it became a real struggle, you know, to keep Mm. everything together, like, you know, keep my house and and uh, keep working and budget cuts and everything else. And, and so there were a few years there where it was, it was very difficult for me. And then sort of like mentally, I felt like, oh, I'm going to lose it. And I was trying to start a new career at the same time, you know, mixing modeling with styling and modeling really wasn't working out because as it turns out, I wasn't quite old enough. You know, I was 52. It wasn't, I wasn't 60. So, you know, my hair wasn't pure white. It wasn't as long as it is now. But that was a very trying and very difficult time. And um, Mm. I never thought that I was going to get through the other side. And it lasted for about two years. And uh, but you just do somehow. You just have to get up, get dressed, show up every single day. What avenues did you use to help you? Did you turn to faith? Did you turn to friends? Or did you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just move forward? How did you get through that? I think it's a combination of three things. Um, I did uh, seek out a therapist who really helped me sort of like understand what was going on and how to see the bigger picture. But I also do, um, you know, I use acupuncture and Reiki and 
things like that. And I, I regularly go to a PT. So all of that sort of work helped me a lot. I also am a big believer in um, EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, which involves tapping certain meridians. That actually sort of changed my life. And I still do it as I st- it's a daily practice. I, and, I, and I am a firm believer in that. Talk to us more about that. Is it like a form of meditation or does it go further than that? Well, I mean, it's a physical thing where you're actually tapping on certain places. Mm. And uh, uh, a friend of mine recommended a man named Brad Yates, who's on YouTube. Anyone can look him up. And I started following him, and he has a sort of three-minute practice, um, which you can do first thing in the morning. You know, there are points that you can tap for you know, depression or fear or anger. And I think basically what got me through all of this is a combination of that and also letting go of fear. Fear stops us from doing just about everything. It it freezes us Mm -hmm. in our tracks. And I don't want to sound like a sort of like mental health expert or anything, but letting go. And that's the thing about trying new things. It's fear that stops you from doing these things. So once you learn to let go of that, everything just opens up for you. But you should try it. It's really interesting. I will. And you know what? I'm going to look. Bradley Yates is his name? Brad Yates. Yeah. Okay. And at first it seems sort of corny. You know, you're looking at him thinking, oh, come on, how can this work? You know, but it does work. Uh, it's kind of like acupuncture where there's points in your body which control or affect other parts of your body, right? Like yes. even in your foot, there's yes. a part of your foot where it, it kind of controls or affects your kidneys. So that's an art that's been used for centuries, thousands of years in China. So there's got to be something that works, right, if it's still around. I agree with that totally. You know, I I very rarely go to see Western doctors, and I've always used acupuncture or what I eat as my medicine, you know, and exercise. Mm -hmm. And uh, even when my son was small, starting at the age of five, I used to take him I'm very fortunate that I have a a fantastic acupuncturist who lives in my neighborhood and uh, her sons went to school with mine. And so everybody I knew took their kids to see her and everybody and all of our children were used to acupuncture. It's a it's it's a great source of health and well-being. But you're in California, Gillian. You know, California is a place (laughs) of beautiful weather, laid back, open minded people. I have some listeners in the Midwest. I think it's there that we want to reach and try to open their minds. Everyone listening to California will be like, wow, that that sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. CBD oil. I'm with that. (laughs) California is a beautiful, magical place. Yeah, we're lucky. Well, I'm lucky to live here. I have to say I I, sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to move to the south of France. And then I think, no, I like it here. And my son lives here anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So Jillian, what's your styling website? I'll give you a plug here. Oh, it's uh, GillianMcLeod.com, and it's on. It's hosted on Sidecar's website, which is Sidecar.com. For the last part of this conversation, I don't want to say interview. This is it's been a pleasure getting to know you and your story. Thank you. For this last portion, I want to give you the floor. Any message that you have for the listeners, or you could talk about what you're up to next. It's up to you. Uh, I want to give you the floor to speak your mind. Okay. Well, what's next is uh, um, obviously more modeling. I'm working on, it's it's difficult now to do a lot of styling. You know, productions are very small. A lot of uh, styling happens over Zoom or fittings definitely happen over Zoom. But I've started to do more personal styling. And, you know, that involves interviewing people, looking at their wardrobes on Zoom, ordering for them or, or helping them 
order for certain functions. Obviously, we're not going out to very many functions, but it's time when people want to sort of go through their wardrobe, maybe pare down, give away a lot of clothing. So that's been added to my services now. And um, that's it. Keep on with my gardening. See what happens. (laughs) In terms of your styling, I'm assuming the fact that you were around so many different cultures. I mean, Indonesia is beautiful. Their clothing there, the culture is beautiful. That had to have had an effect. How would you describe your style in general? Um, well, I, I would say that my own style is very eclectic. I don't buy a lot of clothing and I tend to buy from designers that I love like Comme de Garçon or Dries Van Noten, things that will last for a long time. Like I can go into my cupboard today and come out with something great, but it might be something that I bought 15 years ago. But I know that growing up in Asia really honed in a sort of uh, a sense of color and I like richness of fabrics, tactile fabrics. Um, and I think that comes from just looking and touching all those beautiful embroideries and silks and, oh, I don't know, just just everything about Asia has affected my whole life. Even the way I, I live here, it's very minimal, but it, it has a very sort of Asian aspect to it. Simple, yeah. but um, very colorful. You know, I have bright pink chairs and a, and a bright blue sofa with a purple and cream carpet <laughs> it's, it's it's a little crazy but it's really lovely so i'm trying to bring back the headband and i just want your opinion on it, your professional opinion. <laughs> why not you know like the john mcenroe headbands oh my back god in, back in the 70s i loved and bjorn borg yeah what do you think you, you think that's going to come back yeah i guess it takes one person to do it all right I don't know. Uh, I think that you should just do it. (laughs) Speaking of styling, though, did you happen to see the Harry Styles editorial in Vogue shot by Tyler Mitchell? I saw one image. He was very uh, femininely dressed, right? Is is that the one I was thinking about? Yes, styled by Camilla Nickerson. It is absolutely, it's it's the most, my most favorite thing that I've seen in decades. Mm. I just love it so much just because it's just so out there and the clothes are beautiful, but on a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. He was in a dress, right? Yes, beautiful dresses. I never really got the opportunity to style like that because most of the stuff that I styled was pharmaceutical or it was, you know, Mm -hmm. just sort of like straight advertising. There's no call for that sort of. Maybe after this episode, two or 3,000 people might listen to it which which is a very small number but who knows maybe from this you could be working on those kind of projects we'll see right i would love that yes jillian thank you so much i really appreciate you taking time out to speak with me and getting to know you learning about your story it's it's an inspiration to everybody not just older people it just i think people in general can learn something from your story and, and the fact that you're so fearless so i appreciate you and i'm sure there'll be listeners that appreciate you so so thank you again Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to speak with you. Stay safe and uh, we'll work together soon. Okay, I'd love that. Thank you.